You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. So glad that you joined us this morning, especially if you're new, visiting. I love that you're here. If you're exploring your faith in Christ and trying to know who he is, we, we want you to know that uh, we, this is a safe place to ask questions, safe place to explore. We want to help in any way we can in your understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, we want you to know that God loves you and that this time of year proves that and what we're celebrating here. And we want you to know that you matter to him and you matter to us. And so we're so glad that you're here. So glad to be here with all of y'all, especially kicking off this Advent season and getting to uh, look ahead to celebrating uh, Christ's birth. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're beginning, as you saw with the Advent candle and, and the Christmas carols and all the decorations, all this stuff, we're getting to begin uh, celebrating Advent, which is a time where we remember that God has come to be with us to make the way for us to go and be with God. And it's a pretty amazing deal. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I love this time of year, like I, love, I love this time of year. I love everything. Like I love the Christmas lights. I love the Christmas trees. I love Christmas music. I've been listening to Christmas music pretty much nonstop, nonstop this week since Saturday when we put up our Christmas tree appropriately a few days after Thanksgiving, right? Not before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> December 1st. Yeah. Well, we, we were actually still in November, but it's okay because it was post Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we, uh, I love Christmas parties. I love, I mean, I just love, I love this time of year, but probably like, you know, many of you, I don't love every part of this time of year, right? I, I don't love how it just seems like our schedules can get so busy during Christmas season, and we have, you know, the, the endless kind of Christmas to-do list and Christmas wish list and, and parties and extra things going on that can make this time of year, which should, right, it should feel like, for Christians, one of the easiest times of the year to worship Jesus. It often becomes one of the hardest times of the year to worship Jesus because there's just so much going on and he can just get shelved to the side, right? The other thing I don't love about this time of year, and again, I know I'm not alone in this, is just the rampant consumerism that this year highlights, right? this time of year highlights, right? Consumerism, our preoccupation with acquiring consumer goods. Yeah, that's pretty much Christmas season in a nutshell, <laughs> is it not? I mean, I hate that Christmas season seems to kick off the day after Thanksgiving with Black Friday and then a Small Business Saturday and then Cyber Monday, right? And it's like, it's just like spin, 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 spin. I, I don't know about you guys, but I found this stat alarming uh, last year. Over Christmas, studies show that the average American went $1,000 into debt for, due to Christmas spending. $1,000 in debt. Or how about, how about this stat? Last year, worldwide, we spent one, over $1 trillion on Christmas. Which, you put this in perspective, uh, researchers say, researchers say that it only, only, it's still a big number, it's just nothing compared to one trillion. It would only cost $30 billion annually to end world hunger. 
So we could have ended world hunger for 33 years just of what we spent worldwide on Christmas last year. How wild is that? That another stat, researchers say, it would only cost about $10 billion, again, only, but in light of $1 trillion, $10 billion to, to provide clean drinking water for everyone in the whole entire world. Now, it's just something about that, how much money is spent around Christmas that just, like, think, ugh, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. That, that, doesn't, mm, that doesn't sit well with me. I, I don't like that. And so this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series entitled Advent Conspiracy. And the concept of this series has come from uh, a few pastors who got together post-Christmas back in 2006, and they were lamenting about how Christmas has come and gone yet again, and they just felt like they, they themselves, as well as their church families, had missed out on the comfort and joy that Christmas is supposed to bring. And they had missed out on the opportunity to really worship Jesus fully, that Christmas should bring. And instead, they were worn out, and they were stressed out, and they were overspent financially. And they said, man, this is, this is, there's just something backwards here. Something broken here. And so they, to use their, their words, decided to start to conspire together to subvert the rampant consumerism that's attached itself to the celebration of the birth of Christ. And they said, well, what if, what if instead of just go, 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 and spend, 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 we could actually invite one another and our church families to engage, not just by remembering the Christmas story, but actually involving ourselves in it and being a part of what Jesus came to earth to do and making all things new and restoring broken things and meeting the needs of people. What if, what if we built that part back into Christmas? And so they started this thing, Advent Conspiracy. And since then, since 2006, churches all over the world have jumped in on this movement. And this year, we're jumping in too. I hope, y'all, hope you're cool with that because I've already decided. I mean, we've got the graphics and everything. We're in. So I, got, I, mean, I guess you don't have to come back next week if you're like, I'm not in this thing. But we're doing this, right? And I'm excited about it because I think that this has the opportunity to make this Christmas one of the, if not the most impactful Christmases that you've celebrated in a long time. And so we're going to kick this series off this way by just asking uh, three questions this morning. The first question is this, who or what will you worship this Christmas? Who or what will you worship this Christmas? Second question I'm going to ask you is, how will you worship this Christmas? And then the third question is going to be, what will compel your worship this Christmas? So that's where we're going. But let me just begin with this first question. Who or what will you worship this Christmas? Now, I want to be clear. When I use this word worship, I'm not talking about a worship service. I'm not talking about worship songs. I'm talking about the more biblical picture of what worship is, which is, you simply put, ascribing worth to something or someone. And when you, the thing that you ultimately worship or the person you ultimately worship is the one that you ascribe ultimate worth and value to. And so you say, okay, that's something that everybody does. Christian, non-Christian, religious, irreligious, everyone worships. It's just part of our design. Everyone ascribes great worth to whatever you think is going to meet your need of love or belonging or significance or satisfaction or security, whatever it is that you attach your desires and hope to is what, you know, you worship. 
Whatever you attach your ultimate desires and hopes to is what you ultimately worship. We all worship something. So then it comes to this question, well, what, what or who will we worship this Christmas? And I think it's a really important question because of something troubling that Jesus once said. Because he, Jesus, when he was teaching at one point, he said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he said, okay, and let me make this real practical. And he added this line, you cannot serve both God and money. Which means in Jesus' way of thinking, which we should pay attention to, because he's Jesus. In Jesus' way of thinking, there are two masters trying to tell you what to do. One is God, and one is money. And you will not be able to serve both of them. You will not be able to love and be devoted to both of them. You will have to choose which one you're going to love and which one you're going to hate, which one you're going to be devoted to and which one you're not. And put it another way, you will only be able to worship. You will only be able to ascribe ultimate worth to one of them. But here's the thing. I kind of think that every single Christmas season, we as Christians, we try to prove Jesus wrong here. <laughs> I mean, you think about that? Like, it's like we, we think we can be devoted to money and to God, that we can love both God and money. The point that we have appropriated our devotion to consumerism within our celebration of the advent, of the coming of Jesus. But here's the thing. I think in our hearts, we, we get, we feel, we can sense that something about that just isn't right. I, like, can I, can I get some nodded heads? Like, are you, are you following me on that? Like, you sense that? Like, this just doesn't seem right. Well, getting swept up in the consumerism of our culture is just not a fitting way to celebrate the birth of Jesus. For again, I guess it was Jesus who said, you cannot serve both God and money. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So here's my first big idea, kind of this series. It's kind of what the whole series premise is built on. It's, it's what if we let, it's just a crazy idea. What if we let what we're celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas? What if we let what we're celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas instead of letting tradition, though I'm, I love traditions, but instead of letting tradition and especially instead of letting our consumeristic culture determine how we celebrate Christmas? What if we did that? What would that look like? I mean, just think about what are we celebrating at Christmas? Just big story, picture, big picture of it. How would you sum it up? What are we celebrating at Christmas? Simply put, you say, well, the birth of Jesus, right? The birth of the Son of God. Yes, but if you were to flesh it out maybe a little bit more than that, you could say something along the lines of this, that God the Son took on flesh to live with us because we were in desperate need. Desperate need for forgiveness Desperate need for being set free from our slavery to sin. Desperate need for our broken world and our broken sinful hearts to be restored and made new. And so in humility, 
God the Son came on Christmas, born as a baby to grow into a person that would then die for our sins. So at great cost to himself, in order to serve us, he met our greatest need, our need for forgiveness and to be reconciled to God. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Now let me just take it one step further. That's the big picture of what we're celebrating. But if you think about the actual first Christmas story, and actually bring in narrow, you think, okay, well, what, what, is, what is it that we're actually celebrating in the first Christmas? Well, then you could add to it this. Not just the big picture of what we're celebrating, but if you think through, like, who Jesus came to and through, specifically, I mean, yes, Jesus came for the whole world, right? But who did he come? He came through one. He came to some specific people in the very first Christmas. When you think about it through that lens, then, then it even perhaps gets even more clear how we should celebrate Christmas. Because who did he come through? An unwed teenage girl named Mary? Who was living in a small, unknown, <laughs> insignificant town in the fringes of the Roman Empire? A poor peasant? Engaged to be married to what we can tell would be a, a poor car- carpenter. And so when she goes to give birth, Jesus doesn't, isn't born in a palace, but in a manger. Most likely surrounded by you know, more animals than people. And then when people do come to visit, who comes? Who's the, who do the angels appear to, to to declare that the Son of God has been born? It's just some shepherds. Lowly shepherds, <laughs> unclean, a marginalized group of people in that society. That's who the angels appear to, and those are the people who come to worship Jesus on his birth. Now, what does this tell us, friends? See, when we think about what we're celebrating at Christmas, is it not that we're celebrating that God has come in the flesh to serve the needy, which is all of us, desperately in need? for forgiveness of sins and to be reconciled to God? And is it not that we're also celebrating the fact that God uniquely came, that he specifically came through and to the poor and the oppressed or the poor and the powerless? Now, in light of that, what would be a fitting way to celebrate Christmas? Like, if we're going to really celebrate Christmas in a way that makes sense with what we're actually celebrating. What, what would you say it is? Like if you could somehow forget all the Christmas traditions you already know, you just had a blank sheet of paper, and you had in view what we're actually celebrating, what would you come up with? See, wouldn't it make sense for our celebration of Christmas to reflect this aspect of Christmas that we were just talking about? Or put it another way, wouldn't it make sense that if we're committed to worshiping Jesus at Christmas instead of worshiping money and buying into consumerism, then shouldn't how we worship Jesus on Christmas reflect this aspect of Christmas? Hold on to that thought and turn with me to Isaiah 58, okay? And uh, as you go there, uh, I want you just to think about how this passage we're about to look like could inform how we will worship Jesus this Christmas. 
See, Isaiah 58, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the children of Israel. And what we see here is that they're seeking to worship God, but God calls them out for how they are worshiping him. Now listen to this. Let me just read the first uh, three verses. Isaiah 58, verse 1 says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. And you would think, okay, so they must be like doing some terrible stuff. <laughs> declare their rebellion. But then here's what he says. For day after day, they seek me out, and they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, why, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Like, do you see what's happening here? Following this, God is addressing a group of people who seem to be day after day seeking God out. Meaning, they're worshiping him, they're worshiping him, they're going, in that sense, going to the temple, they're fasting. You could say that they are, as this description would say, like fastidious in their religious observances. They're faithfully religious and they're seeking to worship God and seeking him out. Not only that, but as they're, they're described as being eager to know God's ways. So they pray and they fast. They gather to worship him day by day. And yet God says through the, to the prophet Isaiah, here's what I want you to declare. Shout out loud and, and declare to my people their rebellion. And the people are like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, I, what? what? I don't understand. Like, you know, verse 3, why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Like, what's, what's going on, God? So God answers. Pick back up in verse 3, second part. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast today acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then to jump down to verse 9. It says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You follow with what God's saying here? It's as if he's saying, okay, if you think you're worshiping me, but you're not caring for the poor and the oppressed, the hungry and the wanderer, then you are not fully, you are not truly worshiping me. And the people were like, wait, what? But we're showing up at the temple. We're, we're, we are here. We're fasting. 
He says, no, no, you're not fully worshiping me if you're not caring for the poor and the oppressed. Guys, now, this is not the only place in Scripture that says this. If you think about Zechariah 7, which is almost a perfect parallel passage to Isaiah 58. There, God says, Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Then in verse 9, he says, This is what the Lord said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. God says the exact same thing. I don't have time to look at it, but if you want to write it down, in Isaiah chapter 1. Like you see this over and over again in Scripture. If you think, God's saying, if you think you're worshiping me, but you're not actually loving and serving the poor and the oppressed, and you are not fully worshiping me. Now, why would God say that? Proverbs 14.31 says this. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 19.17 says this. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Why does God, in these verses, so clearly link himself, connect himself, identify with the poor? Well, it's because that's what God does. (laughs) He uniquely identifies himself with the people, if you will, at the bottom of the ladder. That's why in Psalm 68, 5, God's described in this way. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Like Again, over and over again, Scripture tells us that God uniquely identifies with the poor and the marginalized, or the poor and the oppressed. I mean, think about it. In societies where males dominated and they had all of the power, God says, I'm the God of the widow. I'm the God of the poor woman, which is what widows were and what they represent. In a society where families were the end-all, be-all, he says, I stand with the orphan. I stand with the fatherless. In a society where nationality was of great importance, he says, okay, I stand with the immigrant and the refugee. I mean, go back to Zechariah 7. This is the fast I chose, meaning this is what it means to honor me, God says, administer justice to the widow, to the orphan, to the immigrant, and to the poor. Now, here's the point, all right? Follow me. Here's the point. When it comes to the question, how will you worship this Christmas? I think we should keep it in mind that over and over again in Scripture, God says, if you think you're worshiping me and honoring me, but you are not caring for the poor and marginalized, then you are mistaken. You are not fully worshiping me. See, you cannot fully worship me without caring for and acting justly towards the poor and the oppressed. For those are the people that I uniquely identify with. And friends, does not the Christmas story so powerfully capture that? Again, of all the people, of all the ways that God the Son could enter our world, what did he choose? A poor Unwed woman 
in a no-name town. Like, is that not significant? Of all the places where Jesus could be born, palace or whatever, it's a manger. Of all the people that could be invited to celebrate Jesus' coming, it's shepherds, unclean and marginalized group. Because God uniquely identifies with the poor and the oppressed, with the marginalized. We see it in the birth of Christ. We see it throughout Scripture. And that's why he says, if you want to worship me, but you're not caring for them, then you're not fully worshiping me. See, I uniquely identify with them. We don't have time to get into it, but Matthew 25, I get a great illustration of that. I mean, you just go on and on. You see it throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. So, let me just add a quick aside here. Um, if you're here and you've, and you've rejected Christianity or you're thinking about rejecting Christianity, do you know that this is the God that you might be rejecting or you have rejected? Do you know that this is what he's like? Do you know that this is who he identifies with? This is what his heart is like? Do you know that? And for that matter, um, Christians in this room <laughs> that say, well, can we worship this God? Like, do you know that this is what he's like? Do you know that this is what he says is like to worship him? Now, in light of that, what if we let this truth determine how we will worship Jesus this Christmas? What would that look like? I was talking to my boys about this message this morning at breakfast. We go get breakfast before we come here and do setup. And uh, I said, I was just like talking about like, what if we let what we're celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas? What would we do? And so I kind of explained this to them, and they're like, oh, Dad. That we gotta do that. Like we gotta, we gotta like not just get gifts and just for us and think about all the things we're getting, or just we can't just give all of our gifts to people who already have things. Like what if we like we should give some of our money away to people who really need it? I said, yeah, we should we should do that. He's like, okay, and they start counting through. Like, okay, I think I have seven dollars. I think I have eight. This is just awesome. What are you feeling right now? Like, what if we, in light of this, let what we're celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas. What could that look like? Let me just give you a few ideas, okay? Here's one. What if instead of buying a lot of presents for people who already have plenty, we decided to get creative and, like, make things? Or write nice notes. Who does that anymore? Like, multiple page. Like, actually, not just the little space to give you in the card that you buy, but, like, insert a page in there and then, like, tell people, Nice things. I mean, that could, that could be a rich gift. Or, or what if we, instead of just giving presents, gave our presents instead? Like actually spent time, quality time with people instead of just giving them a gift card. What, what, if, what if we did that this Christmas? And then what if instead of using that money on people who already have a lot of stuff, we used at least some of that money and we spent it on people who didn't have a lot, the people who actually are in great need? Or here's another idea. What if you don't feel comfortable not buying presents for people you feel like you ought to buy a present for? What if instead you go to the people who feel like they need to buy you a present and you said, hey, this year instead of you buying me a present, here's what I would like you to redirect that money towards instead. And you redirect it towards those who are really in need. 
Now, I, I know that this kind of goes against some just normal Christmas traditions. And look, I want to be clear. <laughs> I'm not against giving presents to one another. That's not the point. I'm not saying so. Don't buy any presents. And if you bought presents on Black Friday, take them all back. I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that, but I'm actually asking you to evaluate. What if, what if you even just took a step in this direction this year? Like, what if all of us just took one $25 gift that we would be normally buying for someone else who already has a lot, or we redirected one basically $25 gift that someone else would be getting, giving it to us, and we redirected that towards someone who's in need? Do you know what kind of impact that could have just with our church family? I mean, if every one of us did that with the equivalent of a $25 gift, we could give over $5,000 as a church family to those who are really in need. Like, what if we worshiped God that way this Christmas in light of what we're actually celebrating at Christmas? That could be, that could be significant, right? That could be meaningful. This December... Um, we have, we have nine people in our church uh, family who are advocating for an awesome cause known as Dress Simber. If you uh, saw Jason up here looking fancy with his bow tie, you know that that is not what he normally looks like on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and we've got nine people, guys that are wearing ties, women who are actually like doing the Dress Simber, like wearing a dress every single day. All these people either wearing a tie every single day or bow tie or a dress every single day of December, in order to advocate and raise money to put an end to modern-day slavery and human trafficking. See, December is an awesome movement that partners with IJM, International Justice Mission, along with many other organizations that are on the ground working to free 30 mil- the 30, hear this, 30 million people in our world today who are currently enslaved through human trafficking. Which, by the way, that's, that's more than any people in slavery, more people in slavery now than at any other time in the world. That, I mean, that blew me away. In fact, according to a study done just last year by the University of Texas, we currently have over 300,000 victims of human trafficking living in Texas today. as those numbers are growing. So in light of that fact... In light of the fact that we have many in our church already who have this heart for this movement, the elders of our church say, okay, what if we, what if we rallied behind that as a church family? What if, what if, in light of what we're celebrating at Christmas, we celebrated Christmas by actually getting involved and in breaking the yoke of the oppressed, as God says to do in Isaiah 58? What if we worshiped in that way this Christmas? What if, what if we didn't just buy presents for people who already have a lot? But what if we actually entered into the Christmas story engaging in what Jesus came to do to bring the restoration of the world? He's initiated it. He's going to fulfill it. Now this Christmas, what if we partnered with him in bringing it about and actually seeing it take a step forward, specifically as a church family, in this way, partnering with Dress Simber. And so here's what we're going to do on the 23rd, the last message of this series. We're going to take a special gift offering. And we want you to consider, having bought your Christmas presents, you should have bought them all by the 23rd. Don't wait till Christmas Eve to buy your Christmas presents. 
bought them all, and you would have hopefully not bought as many as you buy usually in the past so that you can give some of that away for those in need. And we'll take that offering on the 23rd. Now, I also know that's probably the least attended Sunday service for our church family in this series because we all travel on the 23rd. And students, you're going to go home and all that stuff. So we also, starting this week, have a place to give online on our church website towards Dressember. There's a drop-down tab. You'll be able to click Dressember and give there in case you're not going to be here on the 23rd. And all that money will go towards that organization. So what if we did that this Christmas? Wouldn't that be cool? Now let me make a quick aside. Um, though I think that there's, there's you know, good reasons, there's power in, the, in us working together as a family to give towards one thing. I also want you to know that's not the point. The point isn't support Dress Simber. The point is that we would not worship money over Christmas. That we would reject worshiping the God of money and we would said choose to worship God, <laughs> Jesus, in light of what we're actually celebrating and engage in that by serving those who are actually in need. And so if you have another group of people, the fatherless, the widow, the refugee, or something else that are people in need that you want to give towards, man, by all means feel completely free. To do that, you don't have to go through our church. You can go directly to them. All of that's just complete freedom. So, but it's also helpful at times just to say, okay, well, if I want to do that, but I don't know where to go, where should I go? That's why we're saying, well, dress Simber, because we already have many in our church who have a heart for that and are already advocating for that. So we're going to lean into that, but you have freedom to lean into whatever. Just don't lean into consumerism. <laughs> just don't lean into worshiping money this Christmas. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me end with this. Um, like I said, we're going to have three questions this morning. Who, who or what will you worship? Hopefully you're going to say, I'm going to worship Jesus this Christmas and not money. Second question, how will I worship this Christmas? Well, let me worship according to what Jesus, God says is full worship. Not just I'm going to show up on Sundays and I'm going to sing songs. But I'm actually going to engage with him in caring for the needy because he's who he uniquely identifies with. Then the third question being, okay, well, what will actually compel your worship? And I ask that question because here's what I want to be so clear with. I don't at all intend to leverage, and I hope you haven't felt it for me today, I don't want to leverage guilt to compel your worship. Like, this is not about, oh, look how bad we are, and we have so much, and we should, you know, how dare us spend all this money ourselves, and let's, we should really be helping all these other people and, like, feel real bad about Like, I don't want to leverage guilt. Because guilty giving, it, it certainly, it, sometimes it does lead to action. But it's short-lived, and it lacks joy. And God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't want to, I don't want to leverage guilt to get us to worship this way, because... Well, here's a big reason, because I don't have to. Because actually, innate to the Christmas story, we have the greatest thing to compel us to engage in this way and to worship in this way. You see, all we need to do is to remember that when we celebrate, what we're celebrating at Christmas is the true story of how God the Son, to use the words of Paul in Philippians 2, when being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing.
by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And friends, he did this for you and for me while we were poor and powerless, unable to save ourselves, unable to break our chains of slavery to sin. He came to be with us. He came to love and serve us by meeting our greatest need in order to make the way for us to be reconciled to God and adopted into his family. And friends, when that truth comes home to your heart, then you will find in him the motivation and the power that you need to go with him to care for those in need. See, we don't do it because we have to. And we don't do it to rid ourselves of guilt. Jesus already took care of that for each of us on the cross. No, we do it because he's already done that for us. We do it in light of how he has met our needs when we were poor and powerless. And now he invites us to go with him to meet others' needs. So we get to do it out of love. We get to do it out of gratefulness. We get, to do, we get to do it out of joy. And so we're going to end this message by taking communion, which is our way of remembering that Jesus was born to eventually die so that we who were dead in our sins could live. And that on the, when we take communion, we remember Jesus' body was broken. His blood was spilled so that we could be brought near to God that he in this met our greatest need. Because as you take this, may you remember that and may it compel you this Christmas to worship him by going with him to meet other needs, other people's needs as well. So the communion table is going to be open up front and in the back. Anyone who's placed their faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, welcome to come take communion. For those of you who don't yet believe that, you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior. We give this time specifically for you to be able to just sit quietly without having to listen to people and just to sit on this and think about this and to talk to God, to say, God, is this true? And perhaps even this morning you would be ready to place your faith in Christ, believing that he came and lived and died and rose again so that you can be reconciled. That when you were powerless to save yourself, he came to serve you to bring you to be with God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we give you praise for sending your Son, sending your Son to us when we did not deserve him, but we desperately needed him to come and live the life that we were supposed to live, a perfect life, but we failed to live. And that he came and he died in our place, the death we deserve to die, so that we can live, so that we can be with you, so that we can be reconciled to you. God, this is incredible news. God, will you help us worship you in light of it? As we celebrate this Christmas, may we actually celebrate in, a way, in light of what we're celebrating and that we would choose to worship you, not the God of money, that we would choose to worship you as you tell us to worship you, that we'd worship you fully, not just in song, though yes, in song, not just in gathering with one another and seeking you, but yes, that. But God, also by joining with you and even as a church family, joining together to care for those 
who are in need in our world, who are poor and oppressed, who are marginalized, that they too would know that you're the God that uniquely identifies with them, that they may come to know you as well. God, we love you. These songs we sing, may may we mean them as we lift our praise to you for how great and good you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.